It is day three of Daf Chav Base. We are holding the Gemara Daf Chav Base on the base, two lines down from the top of the page. We've been learning about the first case of 10 or 11 stringencies in our Mishnah between Kodesh and Truma. And that was, you're not allowed to immerse one utensil inside another for the purposes of Kodesh, but you can do so for Truma. What is the reason why this is a problem? That's a machlok is a dispute between Rabbi La and Rava. Rabbi La says it's because in certain scenarios there would be a problem of chatzitsa, of an interposition, the weight of the inner smaller utensil resting on the base of the outer larger utensil. And an amaretz, an ignorant person in these halachas, someone who's not particular, but these halachas might get confused and come to allow it when it shouldn't be allowed. Rava said no, rather it's out of a concern that an amaretz, someone who's ignorant or not particular about these halachas, might think it's always allowed to immerse one utensil inside another, even when the outer utensil has only got a very, very small opening smaller than a skin bottle's tube, when in fact such a small opening is actually not large enough to allow the waters of the mikveh to connect in a kosher manner with the water inside the utensil. And an amaret, an ignorant person, might think it's always allowed even in such a case. Why is it a problem for Kodesh and not for Truma? Because Kodesh, we have no choice but to accept it from an Amaretz. We don't have any other choice. All the people who deal with Kodesh are Chaverim, are people who are particular about these laws. And there's no other way for someone who's an Amaretz to donate Kodesh. And therefore, if we allow utensils to be dipped inside other utensils, then it may lead to a scenario where we have to accept something that's Tomei from an Amaretz for Kodesh. Whereas when it comes to trauma, we're not so concerned because worst case, if it's Tommy and we're, not, and we're worried about it, we just won't accept it from an Amaretz and he'll go and give it to some other Kohen who's also an Amaretz. That's what we learned earlier in the week. Yesterday, the Gemara began asking a question which we didn't quite finish yesterday. We'll remind ourselves where we got to and we'll continue with the question. The Gemara basically asked, why aren't we concerned even for the case of trauma? We've said we're not worried about an Amaretz you know, dipping one utensil inside another for the purposes of trimmer, because he'll just give it to another coin who's also an Amaretz. But the Gemara said, why aren't we concerned that if we're lax in this area, a person who's a Chover, who's particular about these laws, might end up borrowing a utensil from an Amaretz. Borrowing a utensil from someone who's not particular about these laws. And because we're lax in this rule about dipping kalim, one utensil inside another in a mikveh, Someone who's particular about these laws might end up borrowing a utensil that has been incorrectly dipped in a mikveh inside another utensil. And it turns out the person doing the borrowing might end up borrowing a utensil that is ritually impure. Shall we not stop people from dipping one utensil inside another to prevent this possibility that a chaver might borrow such a utensil from an amaret? That was basically the Gemara's question. And the Gemara began asking it by quoting a Mishnah. The Mishnah says, There's a If you have an earthenware utensil, on a biblical level, an earthenware utensil prevents corpse tumor from transmitting through it. If it's got something inside it, like a fruit or a drink, or another earthenware utensil, or if it's sitting in between a corpse and something above it, it, on a biblical level, prevents anything else from becoming ritually impure. And Basil actually say, even on a rabbinic level, even on a rabbinic level, even though we know that a utensil belonging to an Amaretz, we should assume on a rabbinic level is richly impure. Nonetheless, such an earthenware utensil, which we don't know to be impure, we just assume it is because it belongs to an Amaretz, it is still able to prevent corpse tumor from impacting anything inside it or above it. Beishat might say, no, that's not the case, Beishat, they say. It actually depends. It's half-half. A earthenware utensil can prevent corpse tumor from impacting food, drinks, and other earthenware utensils but it cannot prevent corpse tumor from impacting a non-earthenware utensil. So the Hillel said to Beis Shammai, how do you differentiate between those two things? What logic is there to differentiate between food, drinks, and earthenware utensils on the one hand that 
do not become ritually impure, that are protected by the other utensils. And on the other hand, non other utensils, which do become impure and are not protected by the other utensil. How do you differentiate between those two things? And Beishama responded to Beishil on the mission. They said to them, we differentiate because when it comes to the non other utensil, that could impact not just the Amaretz himself, but also a Chaver who might borrow the utensil from him. Whereas when it comes to food and drinks, a Chaver is never going to take food and drinks from an Amaretz. He'll always assume that it's ritually impure. But when it comes to non Adamwe utensils, he might borrow those. And since he might borrow those, we need to be concerned to declare them ritually impure so that the Chaver will not come to inadvertently use a utensil that may be ritually impure. Now that's where we left off yesterday. The Gemara, before it sort of concludes on its question, elaborates a little bit further. Tanya, we learned in a brisa, a similar discussion. Amr Rabbi Yeshua said, Boshani I'm ashamed of your words, Beishamai. Now, Rabbi Yeshua lived sometime after Beishamai. And he was basically saying to the scholars of Beishamai, after they'd passed away, he said, I don't understand what you're saying. And he said in a bit of a rude way, I'm ashamed of your words. Why did he say that? He basically asked them the same question that Beishil asked them. He said, Efshar Isha Losha Ba'ariva. Is it possible that a woman on the upper floor of a house whose hatchway is blocked by the earthenware vessel, in other words, there's a corpse on the ground floor, then there's an earthenware vessel in between the corpse and the upper level, and then there's a woman on the upper floor kneading dough. Is it possible that the woman and the, the non-earthenware utensil become tommy for seven days? But the dough remains tar. In other words, you, Beishamai, are saying... Look, this earthenware utensil can prevent food from becoming tummy, but it cannot prevent non-earthenware utensils from becoming tummy. Essentially, what you're saying, Beishamai, is that you can have this woman who's kneading the dough, and on the one hand, the dough remains tahor, but a non-earthenware utensil becomes tummy. How is that possible? Similarly, Rabbi Yeshua says, Logan Malimashkin. How is it possible, according to you, Beishamai, what's going to turn out? You can have a flask, a non-earthenware flask, sitting on the upper floor of a house that's full of a drink, and Logan Tommy Tumashiva, you've got a corpse beneath and then a earthenware utensil in between and then this non-earthenware flask with a drink inside above. You're going to rule, Beishamai, that the flask, the non-earthenware flask becomes Tommy because the earthenware utensil cannot prevent it from becoming Tommy. But the liquid inside remains tar. How can you differentiate between those two things? Why is it that you say that an earthenware utensil will prevent Tuma from impacting a food or a drink, but it will not prevent corpse tumor from impacting a non earthenware utensil. There was a certain student from the students of Beishamai who was there, and he engaged Rabbi Yeshua in a discussion. Rabbi Yeshua had asked quite aggressively about the view of Beishamai, and this student engaged him. Amalu, he said to him, I'll tell you the reasoning of Beishamai's ruling. Amalu, Rabbi Yeshua said to him, Okay, tell me. So Amalu, the student said to him, he said, tell me something. A utensil that we know is Tommy, can it get in the way? Can it stop a corpse from transmitting Tumah above that item? In other words, if you have a Klicheris, an other utensil, that we know is ritually impure, can it prevent corpse Tumah from passing through it? And we know the answer to this. We learned this already previously. Rabbi Yashur said to him, no, it doesn't interpose. We know that. If you're sure, if you know that a particular klicheres, another more utensil, is ritually impure, it cannot prevent tumor, corpse tumor, from passing through it. The student of Beishamai continued, and tell me something, he said, the utensils belonging to an Amaretz, 
Are they Tame or Tahar? Amalei Tame, Rabbi Shoetetimwe, of course we assume they're Tame. So the student of Beishamai finished his argument. He said, if you were to tell the Amaretz that his utensil is Tame, is he going to listen to you? Of course he's not going to listen to you. So you're going to end up with a scenario where you have Amaretz walking around with utensils that are actually Tame, that they think are Tahar, and they won't listen to you. What could happen? It could be that there was a corpse beneath an earthenware utensil belonging to an Amaretz. He doesn't think that his clee was ritually impure, so he thinks his klicheres, his earthenware utensil, would have prevented the corpse tumor from transmitting to non-earthenware utensils. But he's wrong. And actually, his non-earthenware utensil is actually tummy. Velo'odu, not only that. And as she'imata tummy, even if you were to tell the Amaretz that his clee, his utensil, was ritually impure, Omelaha, he would say to you in an angry response, Shali tummy. You know what? Mine is tar and yours is tummy. And this is the reasoning of Beishamai. In other words, the Amaretz will never accept that his food or his drinks and his earthenware utensils are not protected by an earthenware utensil that is coming in between them and a corpse. Because the tumor of food, drinks and earthenware utensils can never be removed. And therefore an Amaretz will never allow himself to listen to you if you tell him that his earthenware utensils are ritually impure and therefore it, it has not prevented his food and drink or his other earthenware utensils from becoming ritually impure. But he will accept, and Amaretz will accept, that his non-earthenware utensils are not protected. Why? Because non-earthenware utensils can become tahar. They can be made tahar. You can dip them in a mikveh. You can make them tahar again. And therefore, a chaver, a person who's particular about these laws, who borrows a non-otherware utensil from an Amaretz, will just ask the Amaretz, is this utensil tamay or tahar? And the Amaretz is believed to tell him the answer, since we've differentiated for the Amaretz between the food and drink that remains tahar and the non-otherware utensil that becomes tamay, he'll tell the truth, and that's the reasoning of Beishamay. Miyad halach Rabbi Yeshua v'nishtateach al-kivrei Beishamay. Immediately Rabbi Yeshua went and he prostrated himself on the graves of Beishamai to apologize. Amar, he said, I've spoken excessively, I've spoken sort of rudely against you bones of Beishamai. If your cryptic rulings are shown now to be so logical, how much more so are the ones whose reasoning is readily explained? Amru, and they said, That man... All of Rabbi Yeshua's remaining days, his teeth were blackened because of his many fasts that he undertook for, to atone for having spoken so badly about Beishamai. The Gemara now concludes its question. The Gemara says in all these discussions, and in the first mission that we quoted yesterday that we repeated at the beginning of today's shir, what did we say? The Mishnah said that Beishamai said to Beis Hillel that we're concerned about a non-earthenware utensil more than we are food, drinks, and an earthenware utensil because a non-earthenware utensil could impact not just the Amaretz but also a Chover. How could it impact a Chover? Only because a Chover might borrow the utensil. So you see that it is common practice for people to borrow utensils from an Amaretz. Why then does our Mishnah which, only, which basically says you're not allowed to dip one utensil inside another into a mikvah, why does it say that's only disallowed for Kodesh? Why is it not disallowed also for Truma? Why aren't we concerned that an Amaretz might see this, might think it's okay, might do it, and then we'll have a utensil that has actually not been dipped properly in a mikvah, 
it's an non-adam utensil, he might lend it to a chaver, and the chaver will end up using a utensil that is actually not ritually pure. So the Gemara says, Ki shalina minayu It's very simple, because when we borrow utensils from our Amaretz, we have to dip them in a mikvah. Every chaver knows he's going to have to dip this utensil in a mikvah. The only way that a person borrows utensils from an Amaretz when they're non-other way utensils is by dipping them in a mikvah first. And that's the reason why our Mishnah allows you to, allows us to dip one utensil inside another for the purposes of Truma, but not for Kodesh. Because when it comes to Truma, we're not concerned that an Amaretz might think it's okay and therefore come to do it and therefore come to lend a, not a, a ritually impure utensil to a Chaver. Because even if he does, the Chaver will just dip it in a mikveh. The Gemara says, if that's the case, that a Chaver always has to dip a utensil in a mikveh before he uses it when he borrows it from Amaretz, then when Beishamai said to Beishilel, we need to be concerned that a Chaver might borrow a utensil from an Amaretz and therefore we have to declare this non way utensil Tomei, why didn't Beishilel just respond, what are you talking about Beishamai? A Chaver, of course he can borrow a utensil from a Amaretz, he's always going to dip it in a mikveh before he uses it. Why is that same logic that we applied to the case in our earlier Mishnah about Truma, dipping one utensil inside another, why doesn't that also apply in the dispute by Shaman Beis Hillel about a Kli Cheres and other way utensil's ability to prevent Tumma from impacting a non-other way utensil? So the Gemara says there's a difference. The Gemara says, Tmei mei spai hazar shlishi yushvi. The Gemara says when it comes to corpse tumma, the whole purification process is different. It's actually a seven-day purification process. Something that's been tummy, richly impure from a human corpse, has on the third and seventh day after the tumma is contracted, water mixed with the ash of the paraduma, the red cow, is sprinkled on the tummy item. It takes seven days and then it's dipped in a mikveh. So even though a chaver always dips a utensil borrowed from a, an amaretz in a mikveh before using it, that's not really going to help you for corpse tumor. Because no one borrows a utensil for seven days. And therefore, Beishamai are correct when it comes to corpse tumor to be particular about this. But when it comes to trumor and dipping one utensil inside another, it makes sense that we allow it for Truma, but not for Kodesh, since a Chaver always dips a utensil in a mikveh before using it. We're going to hold it for today and continue tomorrow. I wish you all a very good day.